are back into the series that we kind of put on hiatus uh, just before Easter. And uh, if, uh, if Easter was your first Sunday here, and uh, this is your second Sunday, you're like, oh man, they're like going back in. Like I was hoping to be like a new series, something that was going to be like fresh starting off. Well, I, maybe I missed a few weeks, I'm not sure. Um, let me just say this is the perfect Sunday for you to come back for your second experience here. I'm super excited about what we're engaging with. Now, what we're doing right now, it's called In Our Veins, but it's really all about uh, our values. So what is that flows through us as a church that makes us who we are, what we're passionate about, what we feel like God's kind of like asked us to step into and and how we're supposed to step into it. And so uh, we we spent some time a couple weeks ago on our foundational value, awe and wonder. Uh, Awe and wonder is what we hope that you experience when you walk through these doors on a Sunday. I don't want you showing up to church uh, hoping that you're going to hear a good message or uh, hoping that we got some good coffee, that the madcap's not out, or, or that like your kids are going to enjoy a good kids ministry, or, or that you're going to enjoy a great worship experience. or like All that stuff's great. I hope you experience that, but I don't want that to be why you show up. I want you to show up with an expectation that God Almighty ruler of heaven and earth is literally here wanting to speak to you, that you get to be in the presence of the risen Jesus, that he's not just some fairy tale, some idea, uh, some nice thing to think about once, but he is legitimately alive and present here. Jesus actually promises that when his body gathers together, he as the head of his body is uniquely present among us. That means that he's here this morning and he wants to speak to you. And when you start showing up with an expectation that God Almighty wants to interact with you in the part of the, as part of the worship gathering, what you come to expect is what others who walk through these doors will come to experience. And the greatest thing, the greatest uh, uh, um, like compliment you could ever give to me is not, oh, Torn, I really liked your teaching today. The greatest compliment you could give to me is, man, Torn, I, I just... I, I experienced Jesus this morning. Like I felt God, God spoke to me this morning. It's what we pray for every single Sunday. That is our foundational value, awe and wonder. If you didn't get a chance to hear that message, go back uh, three weeks and, and take a listen because I really want you to understand why that's so valuable and important to us. This week, we're talking about our value, healthy things grow. Now, healthy things grow, I would say, is kind of like our second uh, it's not our foundational value, but it's the first thing that we drop on top of that one, okay? Uh, we believe that spiritual formation creates health. Health leads to growth, and we cannot accomplish our mission without both. Now, a lot of times people are like, oh, see, I knew they were that kind of church. They say it right in one of their values, healthy things grow. That church is all about growing and getting big. That's all they care about. That's what they're really about. I knew it. They had fog and lights. Every time I talk about this value, uh, I remind myself and every single one of us that the key word in this value is not grow. The key word is health. Healthy things grow. We don't focus on growth. We anticipate it. We expect it. We need it if we're going to accomplish the mission that God's given us. But that's not what we focus on. We focus on health. Healthy things grow. And so this morning, we're going to engage with one of my favorite texts Uh, in the New Testament, 
Uh, it's John 15, and you're welcome to flip there, but before we uh, dive into it, Jesus is talking about uh, a vine, a grapevine uh, specifically, and I'll give some context that will hopefully unlock a little bit more of our imagination of what's going on when Jesus first talks about this, but uh, I wanted, I nerded out a little bit this past week on like grapevines, so I wanna, I'm going to share some nerdy stuff with you. Can I do that? All right, so let me tell you a few things about grapevines. Grapevines are the first, we think, okay, wild plants to be cultivated by humans. Grapes, grapevines, wine, uh, it's been like ubiquitous throughout all of human history. They think, uh, they estimate now uh, that we have been cultivating grapevines for somewhere between nine and 11,000 years. To get back to the earliest things that we find with humanity and grapevines, are connected in a part of it. Oh, massively important to Israel as well, which we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, when Viking explorer Leif Erikson landed on the east coast of North America in 1000 AD, there were so many wild grapevines that he and his men found that they actually named the east coast or whatever it was that they landed. I can't remember if it was in Canada or if it was uh, in, in the States, but they named it Vinland or Vineland, because there were so many growing here. The oldest still producing grapevine in the world today is over 400 years old, uh, and it's in Serbia, still producing fruit. The average lifespan of a grapevine is about the same as a human, somewhere around 70 years. Uh, grapevines that are cultivated, uh, taken good care of, uh, can produce somewhere between 25 and 30 pounds of fruit each season. Uh, Americans consume, on average, eight and a half pounds of grapes every year. Some of y'all are trying to do the math right now, like, how many grapes is that? I don't even know, but it's a lot. And some of you are like, I don't eat that many grapes or that many raisins. Uh, but then there's others of you that know that it takes about a pound of grapes to make a large glass of wine, and y'all are the reason that all the rest of us are at eight and a half pounds as the average. All right? <laughs> uh, God actually used a grapevine, uh, a vineyard, as a symbol for Israel. Uh, he actually called Israel his vineyard. God took care of his vineyard. Uh, in fact, we see this all throughout the Old Testament, uh, all throughout Psalms. Uh, one of the most famous passages is, is in Isaiah 5. You're welcome to go and look that up and read about it later. But it's how uh, God talked about this special group of people that he wanted to bring his blessing through that it might then be poured out on the rest of the world. And so uh, Israel was not just called uh, God's vineyard or God's grapevine. Uh, they actually, when Jesus was walking the earth, uh, their form of currency, the shekel, uh, actually had grapevine on it as a national symbol. Just like if you looked at our quarter or different uh, uh, coins that we have, it's got an American eagle, right? Uh, in Israel, they had a grapevine. In fact, it was so important that in the temple itself, uh, in the door that led into the holy place, not the holy of holies, uh, but the place that um, Jews would, would, would come into to, to worship God, uh, the door was, I mean, the entire thing uh, when Jesus was alive was basically covered in gold. In fact, Josephus, he's like an ancient historian that lived around the same time as Jesus uh, and, and wrote lots of history for us. Uh, 
he actually talks about the temples that when the sun would come up and shine on it, it was so bright you couldn't look at it because it would be like looking at the sun. It would burn your eyeballs. Like that's how much gold was on it. Uh, the door that led into the holy place was uh, like 60, 70 feet tall. And it had uh, these pillars that went up that were completely covered in gold. And around the pillars was a grapevine made out of pure gold leaves, and huge clusters of grapes. Uh, let me show you a picture, an artist's rendition of kind of what it might have looked like. Uh, you like the, the people down there? Um, you can kind of see another one kind of walking a ladder uh, up there. Uh, that, that's kind of an artist's rendition. Now, people would literally come to the temple to worship, and they would certainly bring their tithes, a tenth of whatever um, they had that they were to give back to God. And then they also, on top of that, often had offerings. And so uh, um, some folks that uh, ha- had wealth uh, wanted to bless God and wanted to worship him. And so they would actually bring full-on uh, pieces of gold vine or gold grape leaves or gold clusters. And they had full-time metal workers, some of the best in the world, that actually would take those pieces and continually be affixing them to that entrance, to that vine. Uh, In fact, Josephus says this. He says, but that gate, which was at this end of the first part of the house, talking about this gate right here, was, as we have already observed, all over covered with gold, as its whole wall about it. And then he says this. It had also golden vines above it, from which clusters of grapes hung as tall as a man's height. Crazy cluster of grapes this is like the size of me, pure gold. This was a really important symbol to Israel. And so I want to lay out just a little bit of context for uh, what we're going to be looking at in John 15 in just a second. Uh, before we jump into John 15, I just simply want to read to you the verse just before the very end of chapter 14. Uh, it just simply says, come now, let us leave. All right. So what we think is actually happening is uh, what we're about to read is a teaching that Jesus gave on Thursday night just before he was, uh, uh, um, Judas came and betrayed him and he was arrested and then eventually uh, brought around where he was going to uh, have the, the sham trial and ultimately crucified. So this is all happening on Thursday. Jesus has just spent time with the disciples in the upper room. And in the upper room, that's where Jesus has first uh, given them the very first communion, okay? The Lord's Supper. He's been part of the part of the Jewish Passover that he's celebrating with them. And he breaks the bread and he says, this is going to be my body broken for you. And then he takes the cup and he says, uh, Here's the fruit of the vine. In fact, he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I do it with you in glory. And, and, he, and he passes that around and they partake. It's to symbolize his blood that's going to be spilled for them, a new covenant in him. So he, Jesus has just done all of that. And I want to show you a, a quick map. I forgot my laser pointer again, but that's all right. You can work with me. Bottom left-hand corner says Last Supper in a red box. See that? All right, that points up to a little thing that's called the upper room. That's kind of where we think it was. Uh, in the upper city, after Jesus has spent all that time with them, then we think that when he says, come, let us leave now, at the end of 14, they actually leave there, and they're heading to, look kind of on the far right-hand side, you'll see Mount, whoop, wait, it'll come back up in just a second. It'll say Mount of Olives, just above that says Garden of Gethsemane. You see that area? That's where Jesus is heading to, where he's going to pray 
where Judas is going to come with the detachment of soldiers, be betrayed, and, and all of kind of the end of Holy Week from Good Friday on kind of starts there. So what we've got right here in chapter 15, 16, and 17, we think actually happens after the Last Supper. Jesus walks the disciples kind of down that path between the lower city and the upper city. They come around on the south side of the temple. You see the whole temple there in like the red uh, lines. And they come up to the beautiful gate on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. The beautiful gate, you see that? That's the gate that I just showed you. That's the big gate that has all the gold and the gold grapevine right there. And we think that Jesus then stops at the beautiful gate and gives this teaching that we're about to look at right now. And all of a sudden, it'll start to make sense. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is a gardener, is the gardener, excuse me. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. What I'd like to do uh, this morning is look at three pieces from the text we just read that I think God wants to engage with us today, your heart, your life, your mind, mine as well. And it's going to help us not just understand what's going on in the context, right? The fact that Jesus has just stopped in front of this national symbol of Israel. You see, up until this time, if you were Jewish, you were planted in God's vineyard. But now Jesus seems to be saying something completely new. It's not just about being Jewish. Now it's about being connected to him. So there's three things that I think are super important for us to engage with. The first one is found in verse one, and it's just simply is that Jesus is the true vine. Apart from him, you can do nothing. There is only one vine that truly brings life. I want to tell you a little story, a little history lesson, something that I learned this, uh, this past week. Uh, Back around 1850, uh, there were some uh, folks from England that came over to the U.S. And while they were in the States, uh, they saw uh, our grapevines. Now, of course, uh, grapes, grapevines, vineyards, uh, they've been tended for centuries uh, in Europe, okay? Uh, U.S. is a fairly new country, and uh, we had some vineyards as well and some grapes, a lot of wild grapes too. And uh, So they wanted to take some back with them, some American varieties, uh, back to England. And so they did. What they didn't know is they were also harboring a stowaway on each of those vines, a little aphid called phylloxera. Okay? It's a picture of the gnarly little guy. Uh, it's a little aphid that actually feeds on the roots uh, and then eventually becomes a fly, and it will kill the roots 
on a, on a normal grapevine. Here's the thing, though. Uh, American grapevines over the centuries had built up a resistance to it. So the aphids could do what they wanted to do, but it wouldn't actually harm the vine. When they brought these new grapevines over to England around 1850, all of the European uh, uh, vines, all the different types of vines, they were not tolerant, though, to phylloxera. And what happened is the little things came off of those American vines and began to infest all the English vines, which spread throughout the British uh, Empire into Scotland and Ireland and then made its way across the Channel into France and Italy. And within 30 years, uh, they estimate somewhere between 70% and 90% of all European vineyards were either dead or dying. You know how they solve the problem, right? Because if folks are wandering, it's like, oh, the best wine's like from like France or it's from Italy or I don't know, wherever, okay? Do you know how they solved the problem? They actually had to take American uh, root sources and then uh, cut off part of the vine from the European vines and graft it onto the American rootstock. You can see a picture of what that looks like. See the bottom is American rootstock, and then you see that like little knobby thing. That's where the graft was made, and the rest is a vine from a European stock, okay? Almost every single European vineyard, from England to France to Italy, is actually filled with American rootstocks. There's almost no original European rootstocks anymore. It's all American with European varieties then grafted onto that. I don't even know if you can call it French wine anymore, if we're just being like. But that's how they had to solve it. It had everything to do with whether or not it was on a vine that could bring life. It's the same thing that I think Jesus is trying to say to us today. Uh, there's all kinds of different things that we can get connected to, right? Kinds of things that we try to get connected to, try to find life from, a sense of purpose, a sense of identity, often really good things, our family, jobs, hobbies, climbing the ladder, how big of a house we have, what kind of a car we drive, all that kind of stuff, right? But all those roots will ultimately die. They will not last. They can't last. They might look good for a while. <laughs> in fact, uh, there was some uh, vineyards out in California um, that there was this one particular root stock that they wanted to use that it had already been shown to, to potentially uh, have problems with uh, phylloxera. They had used these rootstocks in other places in Europe, and the phylloxera had come in and actually wound up destroying it. But for some reason, uh, these vineyards in an area of Northern California thought that they would be able to use them and it wouldn't harm them. And so they planted all of them in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And for a while, it looked good. It looked like their plan was working, and the phylloxera weren't getting to them. But sometime around the mid-80s, the phylloxera found a different way of engaging uh, and just what had happened in Europe when they tried to use these rootstocks, it was happening now in California. In fact, uh, they're still to this very day replanting vineyards that were planted with those rootstocks because they ultimately couldn't survive. You might be living a life right now that looks pretty good. 
Uh, on the outside, it's producing. At least it looks like it, but you're not actually connected to Jesus. The one thing that Jesus wants everyone, each and every one of us, to realize and recognize and ask ourselves the question is, am I actually connected to the true vine? It's not good enough to go to church. It's not good enough to, like, know a few things. Maybe you grew up in a Catholic education or you went to a Christian high school, and so you know a lot of stuff. That, that's not being connected to Jesus. Uh, some folks actually think, well, I know stuff, but I also do stuff. Good, that's great, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're connected to Jesus either. Being connected to Jesus is what we know, what we do, and there is an internal understanding and connection that we have because of the invitation that we have offered to Jesus to enter our lives. We've given him complete control, and his spirit communes with our spirit because his spirit actually lives within us. Dr. Burge uh, actually talked about this. He says, uh, the growing disciple in whom the Father and Son live through the Spirit is one whose life is utterly dependent on Christ. Discipleship is not just a matter of acknowledging who Jesus is, having Jesus, uh, it is, excuse me, having Jesus spiritually connected to our inner lives. So I simply want to ask us a really small question. Does this sound like you? I mean, when you look in the mirror, do you feel this? If not, don't worry about anything else that I'm going to say. I've got two, two more things that I want to bring out from the text. But if you're wrestling with that first question, don't even worry about the rest of what I'm going to say. You can take the next uh, 10, 12 minutes and just chill by yourself. And remember, God is here. It's not an accident that you wound up here. God knew it all along. God knew he might be having a question that he really wanted you to answer this morning. Are you actually connected to Jesus? And if you're wrestling with that, then this is the morning to invite him in and just say, Jesus, I want to be. I'm not even 100% sure what that's going to look like, but I give you permission. Come in, take over my life. Jesus, today I believe in your death and your resurrection. I want you. I want to be connected. If you're not 100% sure how to answer that question, then the rest of this time this morning, just sit with him. Let him speak to you. Uh, the second thing we find in verse 2. The first is, are you connected to the true vine? Uh, the second thing is in verse 2. He says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. A couple things that I learned uh, about vines, grape vines, let me tell you. First thing is this. Two-year-old branches no longer bear fruit. It's not the very first year's branches. It's actually, the, uh, excuse me, not, not the very first branches that come out. It's a one-year-old branch that actually bears fruit. Two-year-old branches, let me show you what they look like. Two-year-old branches are like woody. They're hard. They're rigid. It might help with some support, but two-year-old branches can't produce fruit anymore. They, they need to be cut out. And there may be some of you this morning that uh, God wants to do some cutting today. When you think of things in your life that are old and rigid that don't produce fruit, it could be old habits, old ways of thinking, old ways of behaving, maybe tradition that you really like, but, and, and not only do you like it, you just don't really want to let it go, but it's not actually producing the fruit of Jesus. God wants to cut some of those things out in our lives. Uh, I got permission to share this story. Uh, it's a friend of mine, comes to TLC, 
And he grew up in a tradition where you, you dress up to go to church. Uh, he likes that. Uh, to him, it's a way that he feels like he's honoring God, giving God his best. And so he likes to dress up, wear at least some slacks or some khakis when he comes to church. And so he made his kids do that when they were growing up. Uh, the issue came, though, when his kids got into, like, middle school and, and high school, and uh, they show up, and they're the only kids that were in khakis or slacks. And they never wore them any other day except for Sunday to church. And none of their friends were doing it. Even the stinking pastor wasn't doing it, although today I kind of have on something like slacks, I guess. My, my Dickies workwear. I don't think any people that wear Dickies wear these Dickies, though, but... He wanted his kids, though, to revere God the way that he did. So he thought that that tradition of wearing slacks was a really good tradition for them. And as much as they seemed to despise it as they were getting older, he still said, nope, this is our family and this is what we're doing. And he and I actually had a couple different conversations over lunch about it. And I was asking, I was like, well, is it, is it, is it helping produce fruit in your kids? And probably at first, he probably would tell me, I didn't really, he probably didn't really care for my question. <laughs> but the more that he thought about it, the more he began to ask God, he finally said to his kids, you know what, I really want you to honor God and revere him, but I know that that's a heart issue, not what your pants are made out of. And so he began to give his kids, his older two, the freedom to, to decide what they wanted to wear. I think that's a beautiful, perfect example of what it means sometimes that we got to cut some two-year-old. Was that two-year-old wood doing any harm to my friend? Heck no. He still likes to dress up. He feels like he's honoring God by doing that. That's awesome for him. But it was beginning to impede potential fruit in his kids' lives, and he was willing to cut that out for them. There's a second thing that needs to happen. There's some stuff that God needs to cut out. It's old, woody, rigid. It's not producing fruit. Then there's also pruning that takes place. Uh, pruning is what we do with a vine that is otherwise healthy, okay? But what happens with a healthy vine is that it begins to grow, like shoots all over the place. And then the vine simply has to keep producing enough food for all of the leaves and all of the shoots and all of the clusters of grapes, because they haven't been pruned back. And as a result, you wind up with really crappy fruit. Let me show you a vine that was not new growth that was not pruned. You see that? Tons of growth. Looks awesome from the outside. Look how green it is. Wow, there's little clusters of grapes growing up everywhere. But you know what? That's the kind of clusters you get. You're not going to serve those to somebody else. You can't make wine from those. You're not going to feed anybody. You're not going to offer anybody drink with those. Looks great from the outside sometimes, and I think a lot of times that's our lives. We, we look so good, right? We're busy, we're doing stuff, things are just happening all, all, all around us, but we haven't pruned anything back. And so, yeah, there's little flickers of, like, fruit here and there, but nothing that anybody actually wants. It's not the kind of fruit that Jesus desires to produce in us. Jesus knows there's some stuff that's got to get cut out, and there's some stuff that we've got to be pruning. You can't hope to make time for church and real community if you don't cut some other things out. You're not going to give God his 10% tithe if you budget everything else ahead. 
You're not going to read your Bible and pray if you don't get up a little bit earlier or stay up a little bit later. And you won't serve your brothers and sisters if you don't decide what to cut and what to care for. The best viniculturalists know that they've got to cut a lot of stuff out so that their plant can produce great, beautiful, excessive fruit that will be awesome for the table or the glass. God understands this too. There's some old stuff in your life that he needs to cut out and there's other ways that God wants to keep pruning you. It's the Holy Spirit saying, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this instead. You can't keep doing all those things. You're gonna have to pay attention to what actually builds a a great life. And the last thing is simply this and it's actually connected to the second one. Uh, We see it in verse four. Uh, Jesus says, remain in me. In fact, he says that a bunch of times. Remain in me. You get connected, right? He starts pruning so that there's fruit. We have to remain in him. What does that look like? What does it mean to remain in him? Everyone needs a good trellis to grow healthy fruit. Uh, Did you know that uh, healthy grape vines actually need something to support themselves? A grapevine can't support itself. Uh, So what they do in the wild is they kind of grow all along the ground. They don't produce very good fruit because there's not good air quality. Uh, They don't get good sun because they're covered up. Uh, And so they'll look for either bushes or trees often to climb up, and they'll use the tree as a support. People that want to cultivate a great grapevine, though, they understand, no, I'm going to create a trellis for it. Super rudimentary, not a big deal. It's a four-by-four, pounded into the ground next to the rootstock. They let it grow up that, and then they string some wires across to the next one, And those branches will start to grow on those wires. And now all of a sudden, they're free to the sun and the air. They're going to get all the nutrients from the rootstock, but all the sunshine. And and, and they've got something to grow on now. They've got a a trellis. A trellis is nothing more than simply a metaphor for the kind of life that God wants us to build, how we think about it. Um, I've got some friends. I shared these pictures a couple years ago, uh, the Clavers. And they've got some grapevines, okay? Uh, and they uh, harvest their grapevines uh, every year, and they make delicious grape jelly. And every year I wind up getting me a jar, and I try to find me some homemade bread. Ooh, toast that bad boy up, some real butter. Mmm, get that grape jelly. Woo, all right, I'm hungry. Now, uh, let me show you a picture, because uh, I also have grapevines in my yard. Uh, I want to show you a picture of the Clavers uh, grapevines. This is... Uh, this is Cindy getting some of the grapes. You can see they've got a trellis they're running along. Look at some of those amazing grapes in that little red bucket down by her feet. Uh, let me show you another picture of what the grapes are. Like that's a nice cluster of grapes grown right here in Michigan, all right? Let me show you now what uh, my grapevines look like. Those, <laughs> those are my grapevines right there, Okay. Uh, and uh, I don't do anything with my grapevines. I don't have a trellis for them. They just kind of grow all around the ground, and so this is what my grapes look like. Those are not blueberries. Those are actually grapes. That's my thumb. It just gives you a little bit of an idea of how big those bad boys are. Uh, Not feeding anybody with those, not making any jam out of those. Those things are disgusting. Here's the thing. The clavers are being thoughtful about the trellis that they have made for their grapes to grow on. We both have a place for vines to grow, don't we? 
One of us just goes with the flow and hopes for the best, while the other has put thought into what would help the vine flourish. What are you doing right now? Um, the trellis is a really simple metaphor for the kind of life that we want to build. So what I want to do in, uh, in the last three minutes is I'm going to give you something, uh, some homework for later. Uh, but you're going to need a pen and paper, take a note on this, or your phone, all right? Pull your phone out right now, open up the notes app. Uh, it's going to be pretty simple stuff, but I can't, we can't do it in the service. You're going to have to do it uh, later. So go ahead and pull this out, and I want to tell you, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to give you a quick trellis workshop. Some of you are like, man, I kind of get what you're saying, but I'm not real sure what you're talking. This will help, all right? Quick trellis workshop, okay? We're kind of asking two questions. Who do I want to be and how do I want to live, all right? So this is the quick trellis workshop. Number one, ask yourself, what do you do daily? I want you to just think about that. What do you do every single day? Uh, for a long time, uh, I woke up every morning, and the first thing I did was, anybody know? Ha <laughs> yeah. If I were to ask our church, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? I can guarantee you probably somewhere close to 80% of us would be like, yeah, I'd grab my phone. Now, that's what I always did. First thing I did, I wake up, grab my phone, check to see if I got any notifications. Anybody, you know, like one of my pictures on Facebook or that's how you know I'm old. I talk about Facebook, right? That's the first thing. Right, right, or, or did I get an email? Did I miss a call? Did I get a text? Like, what's going on? And instantly, what happens? That's my day. A couple years ago, I really started asking myself the question, what kind of a life am I building? So I started saying, like, I, I don't know that's a great way to start my day. <laughs> I'll get there eventually, but I don't know that's how I want to start. So what I try to do now, and I'll be honest, this is probably somewhere between three to five times a week, rarely seven days a week, but I'm trying to work at it. The first thing I do when I get up is before I stand up, when my feet, when I'm sitting on my bed, my feet are on the ground, I just acknowledge that Jesus is with me and I want to start my day with him. And so I just acknowledge that he's there. Hey, Jesus, man, I really want to, I really want to do this day with you. I'd love, love, to, love to recognize you throughout it and, and, and be aware of your presence and, and thanks for waking me up. So that's how I start. The next thing that I do is I uh, will... I would guess this is happening less recently, uh, but I try to um, quote uh, a little piece of scripture, Psalm 23, usually just the first verse because it's super simple. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Great way to kind of frame who I am, what I've got as I move into the day. Then I walk into the kitchen where I plug my phone in because I don't plug it into my room anymore. And uh, I'll make myself a cup of coffee. And when I'm doing really well, which this is happening not as often as I'd like, uh, I won't even look at my phone until I've spent about 10 minutes just with God. Usually doing uh, prayer eximen, Ignatian eximen, where I'll spend some time thinking about the past day and I'll th spend some time thinking about the upcoming day with God, read a small portion of scripture and just see if there's something God wants to say to me in that. And then after I've done that, then I'll often grab my phone, take a look. Uh, I'd like to get better where I'm not looking at my phone until a fair bit later in the day. It's, but right now, that's where I'm at. It's a move. It's a way better. It's a better trellis than I used to have. 
Not just a bunch of vines growing along the ground. Now I've actually been thoughtful about that. Then I start thinking about, and I want you to start thinking about, what's all the things that you do in a day? Write down as much as you can think of, the stuff that you do pretty much every day, right? Shower, brush your teeth, uh, whatever it is. I, I, I go to Starbucks on my way to work. Uh, I, I get to work. I, I, I have this. Just start thinking about all the things that you do in a day, all right? Then what I want you to do is go weekly. What's the stuff that you do weekly? Okay, for me, it's church. It's one of the things I do weekly. I also eat pancakes and pizza pretty much weekly. Probably not a great habit, but it's there. So I wrote that down, okay? We have family movie night. It's great. We have family dinner on, on, on uh, most Wednesdays. What are the things that you do weekly? Just write down as many of the things that you do pretty much every week, okay? Then I want you to go to monthly. So you got daily, you got weekly, you got monthly, all right? What are the things you do every month? We, pay, uh, we give our tithes once a month. We pay bills once a month. Uh, this could be like once or twice a month. Uh, I, have, I have my small group, my local group. I do that every other week, okay? It's not a weekly thing, but it's an every other week thing. I put all that stuff in there. And then what I want you to do once you've got your entire list, and it should be pretty long, you know, anything that you can think of. What I want you to do is then just go through, and I want you to all the things that you really like that you're currently doing, I want you to just star them, Okay? All the things you like. I'm like, e even the mundane things. You're like, no, that's still a good thing. Okay? I have pizza with my family every Friday night. I star that bad boy. I like that. All right? Then I want you to go through the list and all the things that you're like, I don't really like that that's there. I, I don't think that's probably a great, that's probably not a really good trellis. Uh, I want you just to circle those. Just circle them. So star the ones that you think are great that you want to keep. Circle the ones that you would like to see removed. Now, do not remove all of them, okay? I want you to find one thing, one circle, and I want you to say, how could I turn that circle into a star? Sounds like you're on a game show now. Circle to a star. What could you do to change that circle that you don't like into a star, something you do? That's all I want you to do. Now, some of you are like, you're overachievers. You're like, I'm going to do one from each section. Good for you, okay? It's awesome. Whatever. But start with one. And what you're going to do is you're going to start building a trellis. A trellis that allows the vine that God is growing to grow on and produce fruit. You don't produce fruit. You don't produce. God produces fruit in you. But we have to make sure that first and foremost, we're connected to the true vine. And then we're willing to allow God to cut out the old stuff and prune back some stuff that might be good so that we can actually produce fruit and an abundance of fruit. Did you see that that's what God wants to do? And as we allow God to prune, we also recognize that we have a responsibility to, to create a trellis that our vine can grow on. That's our life. Whatever you find when you kind of do your daily, weekly, monthly thing, okay, uh, that's your current trellis. It's what your current trellis looks like. And it's perfectly designed to give you the spiritual life that you currently have. Perfectly designed for it. For most of us, though, it hasn't really been designed to give us the life that we long for. Healthy things grow. We believe that spiritual formation creates health. Health leads to growth. And we cannot accomplish our mission without both. Friends, if we're going to do the things that God has asked us to do, 
if we're going to be a multiplying church, helping the next generation fall in love with Jesus to create better futures, friends, that is only going to happen is if we as individuals and collectively will pursue health. Discipleship to Jesus, connected to the true vine, willing to allow God to prune us, building a trellis that allows that vine to flourish so that fruit, tons and tons of juicy, awesome fruit that can feed others and give them drink, that's what Jesus wants to do here. And if we'll pursue that, go after that, friends, I'm just telling you, the stuff that we're gonna start seeing God do in us, through us, among us, around us, it will blow our minds. Father, we want to be people who are connected to Jesus. We give you permission. It's a super scary thing to give you permission to cut stuff out. It's super scary if we're legit about this request to, for you to come in and prune us. But Jesus, we know that that's actually what's in our best interest. We want to be a fruitful people, a fruitful church, so that we have an abundance to share with others, that they might experience what we've experienced. Jesus, do what only you can do. We give ourselves to you in the name of the risen Christ. We pray all these things. Amen.